are listening to LP Uncovered, a music podcast hosted by myself, Lauren Plant. On this episode, I'm joined by a wonderful Australian blues musician, Ash Grunwald. In 2002, he released his debut album, Introducing Ash Grunwald, and since then has released numerous records, toured around the world, and been nominated for six ARIA Music Awards along the way. In March this year, he released his 11th studio album, Shout Into the Noise, a real foot-stomping showstopper of a record. So let's uncover Ash Grunwald's brilliant new album, Shout Into the Noise. Well, thank you so much for coming on LP Uncovered this week. Ash Grunwald, hello. Hello, thanks for having me. Oh, no, thank you so much for coming on. We're just talking about it just then. Uh, what the, what's the time over there? Because obviously you're in Australia. Uh, it's eight o'clock at night here. It's a late one for you, so I really appreciate your time. No worries at all. And uh, before before we kick off going through the album track by track, I just wanted to, to take some time just to appreciate everything that you do, because not everyone might not know, obviously, singer, songwriter, musician, podcast host, so the pressure is on here um author <laughs> co-founder of earth bottles with your wife how do you generally do all that well this there are a lot of hours in the day and i'm i'm actually um generally actually quite an artistic is the polite way of saying lazy do i just do what's fun usually but i've had some you know you can have um i'm 45 now so like life's long so you can have, you know, if you really go super hard for a year at something, like r- writing my book, that was a lot of work. Yeah. Um, but like, you know, then you can go back to being lazy and, uh, <laughs> you know, do stuff. So I, I just do what's fun really and um, and things just keep evolving. And then my wife drags me into a lot of things <laughs> as well that she's doing and I she makes me help her and then that actually ends up being a good thing. Yeah. And then it's another business or another this or that. Are you thinking of doing the podcast again? Is that something that might be coming back or anything like that? Well, that's a good thing, a good example, because like I'm not doing soulful conversations at the moment. Or I, I haven't really since the pandemic, really. But um, I because I just had to like think on my feet and do other things for money and career and everything but um my wife does a podcast called how i quit alcohol which is massively successful and um she gets me on there all the time like you know i do a couple of episodes per se- per season kind of thing so mm. i'm sort of like a shadow i'm the man behind the woman <laughs> you know behind every good woman there's a good man or something some yeah 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 thing like that yeah so I, I help out with that one. But yeah, I haven't done soulful conversations, right? Yeah, it's brilliant. Like if anyone hasn't listened to it, then uh, I highly recommend. Like so so great. And also with the book as well. Is that something you'd be thinking about doing any more writing or one book? Not that that's I'm thinking not about definitely not yeah, yeah, yeah. Following me a loser for only doing one book, aren't you, really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's only one book, but, can't we? <laughs> A podcast is a more immediate thing. Like you, you sort of, it's out there straight away when you're having the conversation. There's a big, long turnaround with a book. It's like doing an album. You know, an album is, you know, books and albums are the, the old school 
slow turnaround things um, and there's definitely value in that. But you you put more and more work in and in, in both of those cases, it's like in that long format, it's like a, um, it's a format that is revered still, but not de- digested by as many people as, as used to, yeah. you know, so um, you wonder, just as musically, you're always wondering, wow, should I start putting out track by track? You know, people have probably been thinking about that for the last decade. Mm. And it's the same with a book, you know, like, oh, maybe this should be a podcast or a video series or, you know? Yeah. yeah. Well, it shows how yeah. creative you are and obviously a man of many talents. <laughs> and of course, got to mention, well, the reason we're talking today is about your amazing and just such a brilliant album, Shout Into The Noise. I've lost track of what number on. Do you know what number album officially this is? Uh, I've lost track too, but for <laughs> studio albums, there's a few live albums in between, but I think it's my 11th studio album, I think. Yeah, yeah that's that's what I've got, but I just thought I'd clarify. Okay, um, yeah. <laughs> and then obviously your last solo album, Mojo, back in 2019 was a real collaborative experience with lots of musicians, obviously wonderful album. And since then you've collaborated with the brilliant Josh Teske as well. How's it been on this album? You've collaborated with lots of young writers. Why did you approach this album differently to Mojo, if that makes sense with a collaborative experience? Yeah, they're very, very different opposites. Like Mojo, you know, me being for people who don't know, um, I've had a a long career in the blues and roots scene. I started off actually in Melbourne in the late 90s as a, uh, a blues player doing acoustic blues and blues rock like Hendrixy sort of stuff and then um, you know in the early 2000s I got swept up in the roots movement the Aussie roots movement kind of thing which was awesome and um, I did that one man band thing for a long time inspired by Xavier Rudd and um, Mm. John Butler and all that that was my sort of class of uh, of my my year uh, my era of that mm-hmm. and then um after I started like sort of plotting a bit of a course after having a bit of a um a little sojourn moving away to Bali and then I I, I thought okay what am I going to do what what style of music am I going to do of, of the lots of things that I do do and I thought well it's time for me to act my age and be like a guitar blues kind of guy mm-hmm. <laughs> and um find a niche that way because I think you know, people probably don't realise that I think most musicians are doing that in, in the back of their mind. Like how do I, most people can do a lot of different things. How do I present it? And um, so I thought, okay, I'll be like that. It's a bit more grown up, old school kind of music. So I did the Mojo album, but then, I don't know, in the meantime, you know, things were going better and better and I was working with this um, a great manager that I've got and uh, he suggested I do a bit more of a younger, fresher sounding, poppier kind of thing, mm. which to me, I was stoked to hear that because actually in the middle of my career around 2000, and from, from 2000 and uh, maybe 2007, 2008 onwards to about, I don't know, 2012-ish, I'd always been trying to blend that kind of uh, the the good bits from electronic and hip hop and and different things and blend that with the bluesy thing. That was my main little mission statement. And by the time I went away from all of that and came back again, 
it was actually a more of a normal way that every young acoustic or poppy act, I mean, everybody does it like that now, or a lot of people, unless you've been really puritanical about the band thing. Most people do it like that now. So that was cool to come back and see, ah, you know, it's changed a bit and it's even easier now yeah. to sit, sit in a room with a producer and write a song and do stuff with a computer. And like you say, it was on the heels of doing a completely stripped back thing with Josh Teske, which was all to analog tape and not a computer inside kind of vibe. Um, I found it really exciting to to go back to that blending thing with with blending it with the modern thing. And I love doing things like that. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'd love to even still do another album like that. Wicked. Well, it was produced by Lachlan Bostock from Mansion Air. How did that come about? Well, we wrote the, I met him, I was writing with a whole lot of different songwriters. And that's another thing I've never done before. Like for this, I wrote about 30 songs and then picked the best ones. Wow. I've always read in interviews about people doing that. And I always like be like, wow, that's so pro. Yeah. <laughs> they must be rich <laughs> to be able to. you know like have a record company pay for that and you know to have the time to do that or whatever I used to always think it was so amazing um because for most of my career also it was all like gigging really hard and um and self-funding everything and being an independent musician so like I would go into a studio with just a few vague ideas about what I was going to do but the time was booked and then I would come out with an album and that's how I did it. Like mm. no demoing at all, really. So, yeah, this was like a really different, more pro setup. And then, so I was meeting all these young songwriter producers and um, top liners. I didn't even know what a top liner was. And it's just like everything was different. And um, do you know what a top liner is? No, I don't have a good. Oh yeah, Sorry. it's like the person who the person who comes up with melodies. Like oh right, yeah. Like like vocal melodies. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I did, I didn't even know about that term. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I just le- it was a real and this is something that comes up in those other things you mentioned like podcast, book, all that sort of stuff. It's a big theme of my life, especially in midlife, is I love to keep learning. Um, so it was really exciting for me to work with these new people. And I when I wrote um, "Shout Into the Noise" with Lockie. We just met for the first time and we just talked about being musicians in the current day and age. And we wrote Shouting to the Noise about that. Yeah. And it was really quick and it sounded exact it sounded very similar to the finished product. Um, and we did it in about four hours or so. Wow. And um it was just unbelievable. And then I would just call in my manager going, We gotta get that guy, we gotta get it. He is the one who <laughs> could produce an album for me because he had that jazzy just cool kind of aesthetic in the way that he blended the electronic um, elements with the organic elements mm. and it wasn't going to be like ash goes pop you know <laughs> the old guy tries to make something crossover yeah you know and in a really lame or just a way that you know you there's ways that that could go wrong mm. um and for me, he had that sort of deft touch that he could understand a bluesy, dark feel and mix that with with 
yeah, dark fields that are derived from a computer. Um, yeah. And as a result, you've come away with like a, a masterclass of an album. It's so good. And before we go through track by track, always talk about the album artwork. Um, yeah, what can you tell me about it? Really cool. Um, I don't know. We just came up with an idea and that was that. Did, was it, <laughs> did you approach someone? Was it that you found someone online or? Yeah, it was through my um, manager and we wanted something that was sort of classic and had a little bit of a, a modern flavour to it as well, a little bit like the music. Nice. And um, something that was um, striking, but like you could still see like my images in sepia tones that sort of like, so, wait a minute, let me grab it. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's a very poignant pose with you with the guitar and then almost like the sun rays behind you. It just feels very like you and the guitar at the centre which is very much like the album itself, like ultimately your vocals and the guitar are mm. the centerpiece of the whole album. Mm. Have you got it on vinyl? Yeah. Is it vinyl or? I can't see. Uh, oh, we do have vinyl, but I just grabbed a little CD. Oh, nice, yeah. nice, nice. And um, I had to be talked into the pink. Okay. Um, and I was really, really happy, happy to be <laughs> wrong about that. I just thought, no, pink, if there's any colour that's not my vibe, it's pink. It goes um, well but with it the is. orange though, doesn't it? It does, and orange is like my favourite colour, like kind of seventies kind of orange. Um, but yeah, it's 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 fresh for, for me. It's fresh, and it's uh, there's something really old school too about the sort of guitar guy kind of yeah. aesthetic. So it's still keeping that blues man kind of thing as well. So it's, it's always it's always important to like everything that you do for me. Everything that I do to stay stay true to my roots but then there's this small this fine line where you want to stay open to things that when people first put it in front of you it might shock you a little bit and I really in the demoing for this album I had a rule of like don't hold it back don't because I feel like sometimes I have a strong sense of self musically and sometimes I've probably held things back by um, being obsessed with keeping it true to myself where it's just like dude you're the only one carrying on about this you don't realize how much you sound like yourself the audience is if you do something you think like plenty of times i've done things i think it's so far out there and it's actually just the yeah. differences aren't that big to the audience as, as they are to me so I, I sort of went with it a bit too really cool well to go through the album track by track obviously you mentioned shout into the noise the title track kick off the album and like you said I, I read that you made 90% of the song with Lachlan when you first met and that it came back really quickly how important was it for you to kick the album off with that song I just love it so much that song and it just um to me I love to make more music like that mm. um it's right down my alley like um one thing that that's come through in the last you know I don't know what it is 20 years maybe maybe more so 10 um the influence of, of bass music and you know i just ultra bass i love but i feel like it's a little mission statement to or, or like something that i'd love to do more of to blend that with bluesy kind of dark cool like back kind of um music that that sounds sort of rusty and old and and noir and moody mm -hmm. you know 
because you can have bassy stuff like uh you know dubstep kind of vibes that's really sort of yeah. kind of really poppy or but it's like i mean i think we'll, we'll still see yeah like having a fat bass bass line in something is in that more electronic sense is really cool and really evocative and i just love it um so anyway yeah, it's a really powerful way to start the album. And I love the title, just shout into the noise in general. Do you remember where that title came about? Absolutely. Um, so we were talking about our positions of trying to, you know, very different mus- musicians, but we still had that same thing. And it was a throwaway statement that um, Lockie said, well, he, said, he was talking about holding up your phone and shouting into the noise and, you know, notice me, notice me. Mm. And I was like, yeah, 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 hold on to that. We've got to use that for sure. And that's what, you know, that the whole thing, I'm really happy with how that song came up because it, t- it just takes you on a journey where um, somebody's worried that they're not enough or like, you know, trying to show that they're more to the world than they really are or they feel that they really are. They're basically, you know, worried that they're small and unimportant but then this is a little bit of a different thing philosophically Mm. because they end up being liberated by the fact that they are way smaller than they had thought (laughs) they're actually a minuscule you know little bit you know Mm -hmm. and just a little little speck on in this vast cosmos and they feel liberated by that fact there's a hidden little lane way Round the back of my mind I've been going there on Sunday For most of my life And a memory can harden it Into something sharp Like the scab you pick Until you bleed You tear yourself Well, apart. there's a wonderful contrast with Shouting to the Noise to the second track, I Want You to Know, which feels like a very personal song for your daughters, Sunny and Aria. Um, and you wrote that with Fergus James, am I right? Yes. How was that? And how was yes. it writing quite obviously very personal lyrics, co-writing that with someone else? So awesome because I always think if there's any theme that's gone through my, um, my whole career, it's that my songwriting generally tends to be like more philosophical, actually. Mm kind of weird um but like so that's a way of me not actually (laughs) me not showing any vulnerability at all yeah (laughs) and i I write sort of bluesy love songs that are sort of it's just more sexualizing or (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know it's not actually really being tender and really really showing your real emotions and i am a very emotional person but it's just that hasn't been how i've known how to express myself and there's nothing more that you feel more strongly than for your kids so it was it was really great to be um co-writing in that sense that it just really brought something out in me and I never would have written those chords Mm -hmm. um myself so I I just um yeah Fergus was just really amazing and just brought that out of me and so you know most of those lyrics were lyrics that I was coming up with but it was just that's a, just such a magnificent thing about co-writing that um he, he just really brought that out of me and I cannot 
I couldn't write such a personal song by myself. Really? Wow. That's amazing. Mm. I suppose that's what we want from a co-writer, someone that's going to bring out the best in you. And I, I love in that song, obviously, the, the steady beat, the stomping, clapping, which is a, a reoccurring feature across a lot of the songs on the album. At what point when putting this song together did you know you wanted to have that driving beat? Uh, that was, it was kind of like that in, in the songwriting. Um, what Fergus did such a great job, we met... Um, we met and then it was going to be a three-way um, songwriting day with a producer and then the producer didn't turn up. Right. So he had to produce it on the spot. On oh, his computer. wow. Yeah. And um, it's a bit of a similar similar one to Shout Into the Noise because it did sound, it, it wasn't as um, sort of sonically sumptuous, but um, it did sound pretty good straight off. And Fergus, like, getting me to sing the even just everything about it, those chords that he put in, I would, I don't even know how to make up those chords. Yeah, but it's a, it's a thing that sounds more like his music than my music, um, and it just worked out. Yeah, really well. I was really happy with it. I do it at every single gig and get people to sing along. And we just had a really big festival here that's really important to us in Australia for our style of music called um, Blues Fest. Yeah, I saw this. It's amazing. Yeah, and I got my kids on stage Aww. and then, you know, and then I got, um, you know, the crowd singing and they're singing at the top of their lungs and, you know, it was thousands of people and it was a really good moment for our family and my wife was crying videoing it. And the kids had, were off the stage, so she's filming me and then she filmed, she turns the camera backstage and they're sitting there. My oldest daughter is on her phone <laughs> and the other one is reading a book. <laughs> Oh no. <laughs> oh no. It was so funny. That video <laughs> is hilarious. So it's like this deep moment. They've just been on the stage and they're just ah, off onto the next thing. <laughs> Didn't even care. Oh no. Are your kids are they showing any sign of potential music, musical talent, or are you kind of just letting them do what they want to do? No, they're very, very good singers. Oh nice. Um, yeah, yeah. But we haven't done We've given them musical opportunities and they, they're actually ever since the floods happened here, it's been awesome because um, put uh, my studio flooded and I put everything upstairs and then the piano was right, uh, the electric piano was right at the kitchen bench and everything's starting to get put back or has been put back or moved out of upstairs. But the piano has stayed because we, the kids started playing it heaps. And, oh, nice. Yeah, and I started playing it. so. Um, yeah, that, they, they've been playing a lot of piano. And they're in the video as well. There's like glimpses of them in the video as well. Do you reckon, will they be featuring any more videos now that they've signed up to one? Or Oh, yeah, well, they loved it. They did a good job in that video. They did video, a really good so... job. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah they're, they're really interested in that. I mean, I never wanted them to be child prodigies. I never no. I, I actually actively didn't want that. I have friends who've been child prodigies. I don't know. I'm sure there's there's plenty of examples of it going well, but I don't know. Even like if you have heaps of success as a child prodigy, it just it seems like it's easier for it to go badly than than mm. to go well for you psychologically. So it's just a mellow thing for them if they want to get into it. The deep forest in the brow, and I want you to know. 
all the reasons for the road that I'm traveling And I want you to know That I'm missing you more than you can imagine Well, to go on to number three on the album, Surrender, very powerful, very hard-hitting, really makes you just stop almost as a listener. Um, how did that song come about? Was that co-written? Yeah, I wrote that with um, an amazing dynamic duo of a guy called Joel Quartermain and another fella, um, Edwin White, who they've, they've had a lot of hits in their, their sort of, joining forces to I think I was I think I might have been one of the first people that they're sort of joining forces cool. doing a lot of songwriting yeah so that was kind of like at the end of the whole process it's like okay I wonder if you can get something happening with those guys you know um and I think we did yeah we came up with something that I was pretty happy with I think we dialed up something and also vocally I was really getting into the more um crazy ripping your voice apart kind yeah. of thing yeah yeah. I haven't done a lot of in the past, but I had been singing with Josh Teske, yeah, getting into Chris Stapleton and stuff, so I really went for that. And uh, what's Surrender like to play live? I haven't played that live yet. I've got wow. to work out a live version of it. Because, like, say when I was doing um, that Blues Fest gig, that was just, like, a couple of weeks ago, so I did Shouting to the Noise, I Want You to Know, Let Me Go, Good Thing, Chains. So, like, if you've done, you've got so many albums, just that mix of old old songs that people actually already know and came to see versus um, brand new ones that you're trying to get them hooked on um, when you've already got, you know, a lot of new ones in there, you don't really feel tempted to do, like, the whole album. I thought that I could you came along like a force of nature Number four on the album, Let Me Go, um, which I read is very much a thank you to your parents and your wife um, mm. and wrote that one with Cam, Cam Naxon. Yeah. I said that right, hopefully. Um, yeah, how was yeah, that as, yeah. a, as a co-writing experience? Absolutely awesome. And, like, you know, it really helps when a guy, like, say that, top lining, because he's a really good singer, Cam. So, like, some of my sort of bluesy... I don't even know if it's bluesiness, like these old school tendencies that I have to just sing really long notes. It's just not deft and nimble, my voice, like all of the young, all of the young producers, they've got these poppy little agile voices. They're right. The average like young act these days, the way they sing is like when I first started out, that would be a, like a really, really good singer, I reckon. Mm-hmm. So that's one thing I've really seen, the standard of singing and the expectations. Maybe it's been like 30 years of auto-tune too. And people who are raised on popular music, they just they just sing so um, more precisely. Um, so to, on most of these songs that you hear, that's the, there's been those younger people influencing me to go down that road, which I think for my voice is really good 
and it's not like I lose any character that that's already in my voice. That's just how I sing anyway. So that was one of the really beneficial and really humbling things too. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, and, uh, I ended up like there's so many times in that demo era. I'm like, oh, it just like my voice is just so it's so loud, and it just felt like this lumbering kind of behemoth that. It, it, yeah, lack that agility mm-hmm. um, that that younger people have raised on singing more quietly and more precisely. So anyway, let me go was a good example of somebody really encouraging me to go a little bit more down that um, road and as a singer. And um, yeah, I really appreciated that. Talk about obviously your voice. Do you remember at what point or what age that you discovered that you had such a, a powerful and such a wonderful voice? Um, I didn't know. I've always sung loud and mm-hmm. um, I think I thought that's what good singing was. And um, I think that's been in me and I'm trying to undo that a little. I've been trying to undo that over the last couple of years um, because that's been the source of a lot of my bad habits. But um, I developed a really robust voice like from the positive um, of that is like I could tour just relentlessly and never lose my voice, which was really good. And um, I got some lessons when I was in my early 20s and I learned how to protect my voice. And then drinking, partying, smoking, you know, always tired, getting up early for a surf, blah, blah, blah. I never lost my voice, which was awesome. But now I'm learning um, how to, um, yeah, use it in, in different ways. And I started singing a lot quieter. And then just recently I've just remembered, no, 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 there are some good things. Don't don't throw all of that out there. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> um, to throw all of that out because not everyone can sing powerfully as well. So just remember, I'm just kind of reminding myself not to get on this trip where you, you start to get too negative about what you're trying to change. Um, um, so, yeah. I'm just sort of appreciating my voice for what it is a bit more now. Across all the songs on the album, you really do showcase, obviously, your wonderful voice. And that's obviously very appropriate in the fifth song, Good Thing, um, wrote with Andy Hopkins. And I always really enjoy the videos as well. This was a very cool video of the two female boxers. Where did that come from or how did that idea come about? Well, we did it. A buddy of mine who did a lot of the visuals, and that, this is an interesting thing these days. It's like what you have the money for to film i mean i'm being super honest here (laughs) so he just came he came up with a concept and got some um got some footage and bought some footage and 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 uh made that up and i i just thought it was pretty cool because what we tried to do with good thing is on purpose we tried to write a vibe up 
optimistic workout song kind of something mm-hmm. you can put on and go on the treadmill or something like yeah, that. Yeah, nice. Um, so, yeah, so that's what the film clip was a bit of girl power and the girl getting after it and, um, yeah, going and getting it. And, um, you know, I, I think it's a real detriment to society and to individual people if we start thinking that that's or if there's anything bad about that, mm-hmm. like it's really important to value working hard and, and, you know, and pursuing goals. It's not cheesy to do that. It's awesome to do that. And if you don't do that, you know, you just, you can end up waste. If you like, if you just watch Netflix all the time and you just, you don't push yourself in any way, then it's really hard to realize your potential. And when you have unrealized potential, it's depressing mm. um, for yourself. And um, it, when you're going after it, I think a lot of us are actually in our happy place when we're pursuing something that has meaning for us, whatever that might be. Um, so more, more songs about that is um, a good thing. Ah, good thing. Hey, there you go. Full circle. <laughs> Yeah, you just got to try and fun and not let it be cheesy. Well, number six on the album, Gone, another brilliant stomping beat with layers of wonderful guitars, very enticing vocals. We're talking about maybe singing a little bit quieter and the vocals really stood out for me, especially the the love the lyrics, clutching at the thorns while the flowers overrun with weeds. That's just a lyric that really stood out. Um, how did this song form in relation to the whole album, timeline-wise? I think that was later in the process and it was here in this studio um, and uh, I did that with Lockie. So I wrote Gone with him and also Madhouse with him and Shout to the Noise with him. So um, I I, I love working with him. He he just brings, I think, the songs that he, he brings a cool, relaxed vibe to the songwriting process and the music that he produces it's just that little bit back and a little bit more reserved um which yeah can make stuff cooler so gone i imagine um makes me think of driving Mm. you're driving in a car kind of thing well that's funny actually we're talking about driving there's a game i play at the end which is kind of linked to driving and i was was speaking about it's one of the artists i was uh, talking to recently about driving how a lot of our musical memories a lot of us our first musical memories in the car is there any song in particular or album that you think of when you think of car from maybe your childhood ah that's a good question Mm. it's a thinker at eight o'clock at night really though is it (laughs) yeah um yeah, I know that I my parents have told me too. I used to there's an artist that my parents they like to listen to country music. Oh cool. And there's a there's a guy who's a piano player who um called Charlie Rich, who's a white guy, but he had a really sort of bl- almost a black way of singing sometimes, very soul. 
you know, I, I could almost think that uh, I could be way off here, but like how Chris Stapleton approaches things now, it's almost like him 40 years ago or something um, mm. that is influenced by black American music, not just the country. The country, yeah, sort of influenced by soul. But, um, you know, I think I have some vague recollections of hearing him Ooh. him singing in, in the car. And that might have influenced me. I always think my upbringing with my parents maybe did. It did I wondered how it made me get into bluesy stuff, but maybe that's part of it. Gonna keep my head, take it slow, let me make it easy for you, then I can go. When you're on the attack, you won't get it back, let me make it easy for you, cause you know I'm already Well, number seven on the album, Madhouse, epic guitar intro, and then that comes in again at the end of the song, just epic. And what came first on this one, melody or lyrics? What came first on this was bass line. Oh, <laughs> right. That Oh, no, it didn't. It didn't. Sorry, that's not true. <laughs> um, what? How we wrote this one was I got a few beats um, on Ableton and I just did a few little jams and I sent them to Lockie and I said, any of these, you know, do you like any of these? Mm -hmm. And it's, oh, not so much this one, not so much this one. Oh, this one's pretty cool. And I was playing that line on the slide and then he came up with that bass line based on that that's just gigantic and mm -hmm. huge. And then we sort of ended up slugging it out. So this is one of those things that I um, I always appreciated Lockie uh, and do appreciate him for almost all of the pro um, producers that I read songs with were like this. They don't like electric guitar very much. It's an old school thing to them. You know, some guy shredding away on the guitar, they're just not so into it. And so that's a massive part of what I do. That they <laughs> that they don't um that they don't all necessarily love. So it was an interesting thing for me to have um to try and be really um logical and to try and not take anything to heart and go, okay, when they're encouraging you to do less guitar. That's making it more contemporary. That's what their ears like. So go with it. But then there were certain points where I went, nah, this is my album and, and actually this is what I do and this is better for the song. But the, trying to work out and really look into myself and say, is that me wanting to stamp my authority over everything or is it called for? Because the baseline sound, the baseline sounds epic how it is but I wanted to do this huge wailing note over it. Yeah. And I really had to coerce Lockie to go for that. And also to, I just, time and time again, when we're reviewing the different mixes, I just kept getting him to turn it up, turn it up, turn it up, which I could understand he wanted it to be about that baseline, which sounds so awesome. But um, I'm glad I sort of put my foot down and I think it was better for the song to have that huge note there. 
So good. Have you played that one live? Funny enough, I haven't really because um, the the backdrop of the situation too, like, you know, like there's just been such little live playing. Yeah. Um, and then when I have gone out, I've been playing solo. So um, I haven't gone out in front of a band. But when I jumped on stage for Blues Fest, which, like I said, that's a big one for us, I hadn't played with the band since the last time that I was rehearsing for Blues Fest, which got cancelled the year before. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> so, yeah, but I, I'm looking forward to doing that one live. Number eight on the record, Chains. Again, I was about to say this must be really fun to play live because I love the part when it's basically just like singing and clapping and you really put it back and just the whole, can we have a conversation? And yeah, the noise is on it. How did you capture? Because I can definitely almost feel elements of a glimmer of like Chains or just there seems to be a real production side to that song. How did that one form? Um, So that was done when we wrote that with Sammy Constantine. And her wonderful boyfriend, he's a co-writer on this, um, he was dusty as all hell because it was um, New Year's Day. Oh, and um, he was almost throwing up while <laughs> while we were oh working. <laughs> it was really hot. And um, he opened up, you know, like when you've got, like on your computer, you've often got all these different projects with half-started things and whatever. And I don't know if the chains were in that, but he had this really cool beat. Right. from a different project and um, his stuff. And uh, I was like, yeah, let's use that. And we used that as a basis. And I don't know if that's why we started singing about Chains because it had yeah. a chain sound in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, um, so you think maybe the music might have come first and then the lyrics in that one. Yeah, the, well, the oh. sound effect might have come first. <laughs> but um, I had been reading, for that one, I'd been reading a book which is amazing called The Four Agreements. Oh, wow, okay. Um, yeah, and I totally, you could get that on audiobook and it only goes for oh. four hours. Okay. But um, I so recommend that book. It's so amazing. Like in the kind of um, self-help kind of vibe, mm-hmm. I've, I've been a self-help sort of junkie and I love philosophy that's applied that can help your life. It's probably one of the best books for helping your life, I reckon. And so it was very influenced by that. There's this notion in there of um the book talks about the power of words and that words are magic spells Mm. like everything that you see around you like that podcast mic that you're using if you trace that back without without words that microphone could never have like let alone that it's for putting words into but even to make that technology of that mic it could have never happened without words like um, you know, we are right now sharing these units of, we're making these sounds and they're units of me- meaning, you know, I'm transferring something that you're decoding. I'm encoding something in these mm-hmm. words and then you decode it at the other end. And it allows us to do so much that really words are magic. They actually allow magic to happen because like, if you look at all the other animals, 
they haven't been able to do what humans have done, you know. Mm. Um, and words are the difference. They're actually quite magical and they can um, bring down nations. They can, they, can, they can make your life or somebody can say some words to you that can change your life forever for the negative or for the positive. Um, so there was a bit of a meditation on the power of words wow. as well. That was a big part of it. I have to take note of that book. What was it called again? The Four Agreements. Four Agreements. There you go. That yeah. one and obviously Served by Day and Jam by Night. Those are the... <laughs> <laughs> I don't feel bad to almost say to you, like, listen to it. You're Especially on audiobook, it's not too hard, four hours, but yeah. or even if you um, read it because... It's uh, yeah, it's really, really awesome. Got me in chains, cause we're bound to the things that we say. So be careful with the poison that you're sinking, and pull the trigger on the words that you're twisting. Let me give you that warning. Let's pound your words. See a gun in the first act, shots fired in the third. So put your hands in mine and your feet on the ground. We got Talking of Awesome, the ninth track on the album, Tell It Like It Is, which stood out as probably one of the more acoustic-y kind of songs, if that's the right word to use it. Um, just obviously the line might as well tell it like it is. Feels again like a very personal song. Um, what was the writing process like on this one? Yeah, I, I wrote that as a co-write. And the original I don't know if the original uh, demo is better or than the final or not. The original demo is maybe a little bit cheesy, but it really achieves what it achieves. But we tried to de-cheese it a little bit and make it um, sit with the album a bit better. And I'll always wonder about that, whether that was the right thing or not. You know, I quit drinking about four years ago. So it came up, it comes up in my writing a fair bit. Things about sort of getting trashed and partying and this and that used to come up in my writing a lot. Yeah. And now it's more the the leaving of that that comes up a lot. And I was listening to a lot of Chris Stapleton and um, he does that country idea of it's a real sort of masculine regret motif. Yeah. <laughs> Lots of dudes regretting their ways and, and that they've done the wrong thing and this and that. So I think that whole side of it came out on that one. Might as well tell it like it is. Well, I never blame the bottle, but it's clear that it's been drinking from me. Well, I was out on the road, I was out of control when I lost my ability to feel. The final song, way too long which really stands out for me is really showcasing your amazing vocals. Why this one at the end of the album? Because it does really feel like a real important song at the end of the album. Well, that's really awesome um, that you said that. I'm, that's a really high compliment. I'm so stoked you said that because I'm a bit self-conscious about way too long because I wrote that 100% myself and I recorded it myself and oh, everything. So I put it at the end because I thought, ah, oh, it's not as good as the other tracks. <laughs> <laughs> I, thought, I, I really liked it. I thought it was quite ironic talking about singing a song way too long and putting it at the end of an album. I quite like that. <laughs> um, what it was, I, it, I wrote it about 
a friend who she is just a really bad alcoholic. And when um, when I was really, really drinking a lot, we're all partying together. I would say sometimes like I used to love drinking white wine and so did she and we'd get so smashed. And then I, I had a period there when I said, you know what, I, I'm going to quit white wine. It just gets me high. I just, mm-hmm. and I end up sculling it, you know, so mm-hmm. I'm going to just drink beers and um, even spirits. If I have one whiskey at the end of the night or whatever, it's fine, but just white wine's doing me in. At the time I said that to her, she drank way more than me. And she was like, yeah, no, no, I'll be fine. No, 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 I'll be fine. And like fast forward to these days, and I haven't had a drink for four years, but she just gets worse and worse. And um, it's really uh, it's really hard to watch. Uh, just imagining being with somebody like that and just saying, it's like sometimes you wish you could quit for people, but only they can quit for themselves. So it's just imagining being like that person who's like, I'm singing this song about this subject to you and I've been singing it for too long. I'm just um, imagining almost being the, it's like being the partner in that situation. Yeah. Like here I am singing that same old song again and I've been singing it for too long. Oh, wow. That's really interesting knowing the con- like context behind that song. So is that the only song that you wrote on your own or on the album? Yeah. Wow. Well, it's a great song and I love it as a as an ending for an album as well. So I think you did a great choice in putting that one towards the end. Well, thank you. I, I You could see on my face I was stoked when you said that. <laughs> oh, good. Good. And you don't have to remember any co-write names as well on that one. Yeah, I think I can remember my own name. That's the other thing. It's like I thought, oh, well, it's a cool bluesy song, but it's not very poppy in any way. So that was the other thing because I, I like how on this album – most of the songs are short, snappy. They get to those melodies quickly mm-hmm. and they're catchy. And um, because we went down that, you know, those are all pop things. And, you know, like you can think of that as a dirty word when you're in bluesy music. Mm-hmm. But I don't think we're in this situation anymore where poppier doesn't mean cheesier anymore. Sometimes it means just um, a bit more of a um, a bit stricter you know, like you get to the point quicker, you get in and you get out. And so like when I do those songs live, because they have those poppy structures, they just work so well. So way too long (laughs) isn't really like that. some final questions quick fire questions on the album we've covered this quite a lot of this already which song came together the quickest and which took the longest the shout into the noise came together the quickest and what was the longest i would say answer it in a different way the ones that you really had to work to make it into a cool track they're part of the the other 20 that didn't make the cut because mm-hmm. yeah, when i look at this i realize wow you know most of these and I've heard it said before, you know, by the 
guys like Elton John who, you know, just churn him out so quickly when when he's in that first thing, that uh, first era of just being so prolific, he was like, you know, if it takes too long, I think he would move on. You oh, know? wow. So for all these songs, they mm-hmm. at least to have a compelling demo of it, um, they came together really quite quickly, all within one sitting, like four hours, five hours. Mm-hmm. The the general idea would be, you know, maybe you'd have to go back and do the second verse again, but yeah. Do you have a favourite song off the album? Shout Into the Noise. Nice. Uh, do you have a favourite lyric? Um, they're, they're, I, I'm, I'm happy with the lyrics on this album. Mm-hmm. Um, I do labour over lyrics, even a lot of the lyrics that sound like throwaway lyrics. Um, I'm taking too long, so I don't get to... Um, <laughs> I don't get to answer that, but uh, yeah. Well, I picked out some great ones from from Gone. I love the the Thorns of the Flats. That's one that really stood out for me. <laughs> um, which are you most looking forward to playing live? Yeah, I've got to say, I want you to know I love playing live because people really like singing that, and it's the only song in my other music I I like to um, get people to sing along mm-hmm. stuff and choruses, but. It's the only really sweet chorus that I have that's uh, a nice sentiment, a warm sentiment that everybody sings. So if you get to be the person who leads that, it's so it fills, it fills you up. I bet. So to finish with, I do a game called What's the Occasion? And this is where I give you three different occasions and you've got to pick a song off the album for each occasion if it was to be played at that moment. All so right. We, we kind of mentioned it a little bit. So you've got a wedding... A dinner party, so you've got friends around, and a car road trip. So what would be your wedding song? It could be a first dance. It could just be on a wedding. That would be I Want You To Know. Mm-hmm. Nice. A dinner party. Now, the dinner party I'll leave and go to the car would be gone. Yeah. So now dinner party. I think dinner party when the cork bottles are popping and everything and everybody's in the up moment of the dinner party and it's all kicking along, it would be good thing. Oh, yeah, nice. Great choice. Um, (laughs) So thank you so much. It's been amazing to go through all 10 songs off the album. What have you got going on in the future? Are you planning on coming over to the UK at all? Um, Yeah, I mean, previously to COVID, yeah, we really was planning on coming. So I I think... um, yeah, I think that's going to happen. Great. Um, and plans is uh, more of this co-writing caper. I really enjoy that. And I, I, I think also the way everything's going, I think it's going to be better for artists to just be more prolific and more prolific in a sense of little side projects as co-writes, mm-hmm. um, little EPs and stuff with other people who you appreciate. I think that will be a really cool thing to do. Well, the music scene around Australia, it's been amazing for ages, but the amount of talent that you guys have got over there, and obviously you've spoken to a lot on your podcast and obviously worked with Josh Teske. So, yeah, it's very exciting what you guys have had going on and what you're still continuing to, to go on over there. So, well, thank you so much for your time. Congrats again on Shout Into the Noise, such a wonderful album. Um, you must be so proud of it. And I really, really appreciate you um, yeah, going through each track by track with me. No worries at all. Thank you. I really appreciate it as well. Um, yeah. yeah. Thanks for the really thorough, amazing questions. 
Thank you. Cheers. Have a good one. Yeah, you too. Bye. 